0: So, let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we thank you for bringing us together, even in this crowded room, Uh, but nevertheless, when we meet together, we know that you're here. So we thank you for this time. We ask your blessing in our efforts that we can pull all of the teachings and what we've learned on the book of Revelation together, so that we can go forward. And learn and listen and grow from it. So we thank you for this time together. We thank you and praise you in all things. In Jesus' name. Today, I'd like to finish up the small amount of the uh, last chapter and then get into a review and then a summary because I'd like you to sort of leave this class. With knowing what the book of Revelation was all about. Not what you've heard from a lot of people, or a lot, with, not what a lot of people think it is, but what it really is and what it should mean to you today. So that's what we're hoping to accomplish uh, in this meeting. So let's take a look at chapter 22, beginning uh, with verse 6. I think I said five up here, but I meant really I mean six. All right. Uh, but even if we go back to the beginning of chapter twenty-two, if you're looking at your Bibles, um, the writer John again is in the midst of a vision. It says, "Then the angel showed me the river of life-giving water, sparkling like crystal." flowing from the throne of god and the lamb down the middle of the street on either side of the river grew trees let's stop there for a minute the river of water also is in practically the same words uh, in the book of uh, ezekiel it is not actually water in the way we think of it i mean we It's not like one of our creeks or rivers overflowing. It is the abundance of grace from the Holy Spirit. That is what the metaphor really is trying to tell us. It's about the grace of the Holy Spirit that flows from God, the Trinity. So think of it in those terms. Water, special water, has always been associated with the Holy Spirit and the grace that the Holy Spirit can and will give us if we ask for it. as okay. well? Yes. Well, in that case, uh, what Mike is referring to is uh, John chapter Four, I believe it is, uh, the woman at the uh, at the well. And the well really, I mean, the jar, the empty jar, is what she's coming for is water. But the metaphor there is that the jar is uh, representing the empty faith. The empty jar is representing the empty faith of Judaism at that particular time. Yeah. All right. On the other side of the river grew the tree of life. Now remember the tree of life is coming right from the book of Exodus, I'm sorry, the book of Genesis, where there was uh, a tree of forbidden fruit and there was also the tree of life. And this is the same thing. Uh, Many theologians will also tell you that uh, the cross that Christ, was crucified on, is also represented uh, as the tree of life. Because remember in those days, uh, the crosses were not in the way we see them today, looking like something that just came from Home Depot. Uh, They were a crude log that even may have had bark still on them, Uh, they were not a fancy Crucifix, as we think of uh, the cross today, and as many people have in their homes, which is all right. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, To have a piece of wood up there that came from your tree in the backyard wouldn't look very nice. Uh, But you've got to think about it that way, and particularly at this time during Lent, in the last uh, two weeks of Lent. Think of the cross and what it meant. It was a crude, unfinished, rough piece of tree on which Christ was crucified. And in those days, it was not a cross that, you know, looks like that. Uh, It was just the crossbar. Most of the time, And it was the Romans who did crucifixion, not the Jewish people. Right? But as we've said before, the Jewish temple leaders sort of cooperated with the Romans in this respect. And of course, in this case, uh, they coerced the, the Romans into crucifying Christ because they didn't like what he had to say. But the cross that Christ carried, as well as the uh, two other thieves that were crucified with him, was not the cross, as we think about it, but just the crossbar. Most of the time, the uh, vertical piece was just a tree that was planted there some time before and stripped of everything uh, down to just the trunk and it had a notch in the top or uh, something, you know, uh, hollowed out, so that when they lifted the person that was crucified onto the crossbar, he would then be put into the notch at the top, and that's all it was. So don't, you know, think about Christ on this beautiful uh, piece of... uh, mahogany or, you know, whatever it was, uh-uh, nothing like that at all. Okay. Are you saying that it was in the shape of a teeth? No, no, it was just was cross. just cross bar. The cross bar is what they Yes, what they yes, into. right, hmm yeah. Of course, you know, with all of the rosaries and so forth that we have and other crucifixes that are used for ornamentation purposes, just that piece would look a little difficult and look a little strange yeah. Yeah. so yeah and it's interesting uh, just there's a little a bit of history here. Uh, in the first three or four centuries after Christ, people would not have displayed a little cross on them or a, or a chain or anything like that. They were ashamed of the cross because, Remember, a crucifixion was always associated with the worst of criminals. And anybody that died under that, those circumstances and were uh, executed under those circumstances were considered as the worst of the worst. And so they were ashamed. It wasn't until uh, somewhere around the third century that they began to use the cross, particularly in the catacombs, uh, as a decoration, and in those cases that's where the vertical piece began to be displayed and used. So the actual cross was only the vertical the horizontal piece. <clears throat> Let's go on. Nothing accursed will be found there. That is among the tree of life. Okay? The throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will look upon his face and his name will be on their foreheads. This is a vision of what John has, saw, has seen in the uh, vision of, of uh, heaven. Night will be no more, and nor will they have a need for light from a lamp or sun. For the Lord God shall give them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And then he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of prophetic spirits, sent his angel to show his servant what must happen soon. Remember, we'll come back to that, what must happen soon. Behold, I am coming. Blessed is the one who keeps the prophetic message of this book. It is I, John, who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down and worshipped at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, don't. In other words, don't worship. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brothers, the prophets and those who keep the message of this book. Worship God, worship God alone. Remember, the angels, we think of the angels as heavenly beings and so forth, but you've got to remember that the angels were created before humanity or mankind, and they were servants of God. That was what they were created for. And this, of course, uh, is repeating a lot of the same words that we found up front in the vision that directed uh, directed John to write the letters to the seven churches. You'll see the repeating of some of the same words. The book of Revelation closes out with what it started with, full gone, full circle in a way. And we'll see that as we do a review a little later. Then he said to me, do not seal up the prophetic words of this book, for the appointed time is near. Let the wicked still act quickly and the filthy still be filthy. The righteous must still do what is right and the holy still be holy that sounds almost like a contradiction there let me go back then he said to me do not seal up the prophetic words of this book for the appointed time is near I will explain that a little later let the wicked still act wickedly and the filthy still be filthy remember that in a couple places earlier in the book it had talked about Those people that, in spite of hearing the message of God, they do not want to change. And they do not change. And in some ways, that's part of human nature. It, When we are so embedded in doing something our way, good, right, or wrong, it is difficult to change. And if a person is comfortable in doing something wrong, they're not going to just change because somebody told them to or because they're right. They have to change because they want to. And that is kind of what they're referring to here. Let the people who want to be filthy remain filthy. But the consequences of that is eternal damnation. Behold, I am coming soon. I bring with me the recompense I will give to each according to his deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega. This is another phrase that was right up front in the book. The Alpha and Omega, meaning the first and the last. These are the Greek, uh, from the Greek alphabet, the first and the last, meaning that God or Jesus in God is the total summation of all creation that is good. Blessed are they who wash their robes so as to have the right to the tree of life and enter the city through its gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the unchaste, murderers, the idol-worshippers, and all who love and practice deceit. Again, outside the gate of heaven will remain all of those who are unwilling to change their ways and put aside all that is evil. I, Jesus, sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright morning star. These are words that have come out of uh, the Old Testament and people, the Jewish people at this particular time would have understood where they came from and what the meaning is of those. The spirit and the bride say, the spirit means of course the Holy Spirit, but the bride is the church. The church has been always Called the Bride of Christ. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let the hearer say, Come, let the one who thirsts come forward, and the one who wants it uh, to receive it, the gift of life uh, <clears throat> come. I warn everyone who hears the prophetic words in this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away the words uh, in this prophetic book, God will take away his share in the tree or of the tree of life in the holy city described herein. Yes, the one who gives this testimony says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. This idea of coming soon seems to have frightened a lot of people. And I suppose in one sense, if you're not prepared, it should. That's what it's intended to But it does not mean that the end of the world, it means the end of your life. And of course that is when you die. And we never know exactly when that's going to be. I always say when people are told by a doctor that they have three to six months or whatever the time that he feels is proper for whatever the case may be, those people are actually fortunate because they have time to prepare. But look at the people who uh, meet death totally unexpectedly uh, in accidents and uh, unfortunately many of these atrocities that we have heard about recently. The world is falling apart, if you ask me. Uh, and how tragic it is when innocent people get caught up in some of those atrocities. And therefore, we all must be prepared to meet God soon. And you never know when that soon is. But several places in this book, it is talked about uh, God coming soon. And people seem to get all shook up because they think that's the end of the world. Well, in one way it is. But it's the end of your world. And therefore, you should be prepared all the time. Don't wait for the end of the world out there because, first of all, you don't know when that's going to happen. And secondly, you can't do anything about it. But the condition of your world, your personal life, and your relationship with God is something that you can do something about. And that, of course, is what life is all about. It is to take inventory of where you stand with God through Jesus Christ and your relationship to him, all right, and time to do something about it. You have all uh, not quite ten uh, two weeks left. Yes, Susan, you had a question? Yes. Yes. Even, even saying... The Yes, they thought the end of the world was coming soon, uh, and they interpreted it that way. Even Paul did for a while, but then you can see the turnaround if you read through all of his letters, particularly in uh, First uh, Thessalonians. Okay. All right. This is the end of the book, not the end of our meeting today okay. You're not going to get away that quick All right. but any questions on what we've read so far Madge? Uh, my husband used to say live today like this might be your last That's right very good yes uh, amen Now the thing is it shouldn't be live today like it's going to be your last and live it in fear no. no. In fact, if you are in a good relationship with Jesus Christ, it should be lived in joy. Yeah, Yeah. because that's what your life should be all about. God doesn't want punishment. God doesn't want anybody to suffer. He wants you to live in joy. But the way to do that is to live in accordance with his teachings. That's what this whole book has been about. If I could put this into one or two sentences and summarize this book, I would say, look, my children, speaking, of course, in the voice of God, I have told you over and over and over of my love for all of you. Sincere love, wanting the best for all of you. That's what love is. And this is the way you get it by living the life that I have laid out for you. But a lot of people don't want that. They want to do things their way. But unfortunately, their way is not God's way. And he tells us right in a couple of places in the book. (laughs) He says, you think your ways are right and mine are wrong but you are wrong in that thinking. It is your ways that are wrong, and my ways are perfect, meaning God's, of course. So, let's look at it that way. All right, I'd like to go into a quick review of the entire book, and then a summary. Starting right off, we have to explain that the book of Revelation is written in a style that is foreign to us today in one respect, but not entirely. Uh, apocalyptic language, uh, writing and literature of all kinds was very popular uh, in the second century. Uh, or from the 2nd century B.C. through the 1st and into the 2nd century A.D. And of course, when we read it today, uh, it sounds so strange and foreign. But if we think about it, uh, our science fiction stories today, are just as weird and they would be uh, not understandable to people of the first century obviously uh, so it is just another style that has come and gone but we have to understand that it uses a great deal of symbolism, metaphors um, a lot of mythology both Greek and Roman mythology as well as a lot of the cultural things that grew up among the Jewish people. And so we have to sort of work through that, but not be clouded by it. In other words, we can forget all of that if we really understand the message. Number two, we have to really understand that the visions that are, are common and throughout this book are part of the technique of holding the stories together, that are holding the story together. If the visions were not here, in just writing in uh, the writings of this book would have very little meaning. It would not have a, a, a sense of cohesion or, or be able to uh, be put together. It would just be a bunch of facts. So it gives, it gives sort of a substance uh, to the entire story. Just try to read that, go through Revelation without reading the vision part, and it would just be a series of facts. The letters to the seven churches. The seven churches, if you look at them from the little map that I had given you at one point in time, uh, almost are in a small uh, recognizable portion of what the country of Turkey is today. But because of the number of seven, We know that these letters and the wording and the instruction and the warnings that are in them are intended for all of Christianity, not only for the period of uh, the first century AD, but for all time, for all people in all locations, So it really is meant to mean all of the church. The seven seals, trumpets and bowls. These are real events that have already taken place. Most of them were identified with the ten plagues at the time of Moses uh, trying to get the Israelites released from Egypt but they were repeated in many ways throughout uh, the Old Testament time period, Uh, particularly with the uh, conquering of northern Israel by the Assyrians in the uh, 8th century B.C., and again by the Babylonians conquering Israel uh, in the 6th century B.C. The devastation that was showered upon the Jewish people at that time, those time periods, uh, really caused more than just a conquering. Uh, So much of it destroyed a lot of their lifestyle. And so uh, these are events that have really happened. And the point that God is making in this book of Revelation is he has brought devastation or allowed devastation of various kinds to be brought against his own people for a good reason, partly to get their attention, to recognize that they are not following his way of life, and they are not following the ways that... uh, he wanted them to in order to fulfill his plan of salvation. But we have to look at it as, in the light that these are not something that are going to come, but have already happened and could happen again. Look at the strange um, weather conditions that have affected all of the earth in the past year or so. The numbers of uh, flooding, right here in our own community, we've already received 150% of our annual rainfall. And yet, for the past five years, we were begging for rain. Now when we get it, are we thanking God I haven't heard anybody talk about thanking God, you know. We're making up for lost time. We're making up for a precious resource that we were begging God for. Now that he has given it to us in abundance, are we thanking him? No. So you can see that we are just as guilty today in many ways as the people of the first century were and those people cry okay? We have done many things, and we do continue to do many things that God could level the boom again on us. And therefore, one of the things that I'm really, really uh, concerned about today is that there are, have been so many atrocities That must have taken, just, you know, think about uh, the bombings that we've had right in our own country in the last few weeks. These are serious situations that have happened that must have taken a lot of planning. You mean you just don't go into a store and, you know, buy a lot of bombs and go out and set them. I mean, it had to take a lot of planning on the part of the people who did perpetrate these atrocities. But what about the people surrounding those people? They must have known something was up, something was happening. You don't stack all kinds of uh, explosives and guns you know, in your back pocket. Uh, they had to be somewhere. What about the people who knew all about those things about to happen and did nothing about it. The moral obligation is something that people just do not seem to get in their mind that they are part of and they have a responsibility to do something about it. And it really bothers me. The large and the small scrolls there wasn't a lot of made about that in this book, and yet it's a very important. The large scroll is really representing God's plan of salvation, something that was in his mind and heart right before creation and will continue to be the... Uh, plan behind everything that is done right up until the end of the world, including the end of the world. And the small scroll represents our portion in that plan of salvation. Every one of us has a small part to play in that plan. And we should pray daily that God will help us to understand what our plan or what our portion of that plan is. And for some people, it might be a real big thing. Others, it might be small. It's all in accordance with your situation in life, the talents that you were given, and many other things that are right in front of you. It's not something that you have to go out and acquire or, Uh, you know, find or dig up or whatever. They are within you, and you have the resources immediately in front of you. God is not going to ask you to do something entirely different than uh, what you are accustomed to. But it's important that you understand what that plan is and that you fulfill it. Now, there was a point made in this book about no one could open the seals in the the first vision of the seven seals. And the visionary, John, uh, got really upset uh, about it because no one could open it. And the angel said to him, fear not, because the Lamb of God will be able to open it. All right, the Lamb of God has always been recognized as Jesus Christ. All right, and why was he the only one that could open the seals? It's an important item. God's plan of salvation included giving his own divine son to mankind to become mankind and to give that back to God, the humanity of Christ, back to God in a sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. The whole idea of God's plan is that because mankind had nothing of its own to offer God in reparation for sin, God had to give mankind something that was perfect that was divine, that was equal to him. And the only thing that he could give him was part of himself in the form of Jesus Christ. So Christ became man to take upon the sins of all of us, those people who lived before Christ during that time and from there on. that is the time period that we call the last days, from the time of Christ till the end of the world. He had to take on those sins because he was the only perfect and divine individual that was worthy of the Father. (coughs) Pardon me. The 144 sealed and how they got there. A lot of people misunderstand, and there's one uh, so called Christian uh, denomination that thinks that they are the only ones included in that 144,000. The number itself represents a thousand times 12 times 12. All right, remember the numbers in the uh the secret numbers or the holy sacred numbers in the jewish culture at that time three seven and twelve twelve being something full and of course twelve times twelve times a thousand hundred and forty four thousand represents an infinite number Uh, that is the people in heaven who have succeeded in living the life that God wanted of them or have been purified in some way. And that is, of course, where purgatory comes in. But that's not mentioned in this book at all, so let's leave that out. Uh, but that is part of the idea. Okay. <clears throat> the two witnesses. Wow. Uh, In order for something to be legally accepted uh, in accordance with Jewish law, you had to have two witnesses, and of course the two witnesses are Moses and Elijah, even though their names are not mentioned in the book of Revelation, but we know that they are the two uh, witnesses because of the scene in the Gospels on the Transfiguration of Christ, when Christ took Peter, James, and John up in the mountain and was transfigured before them, the purpose of that was that after preaching and teaching for quite a while, he wanted the apostles, by this time, who were beginning to get some idea that he was a very unusual person, he wanted them to understand who he really was, and so he. takes them up on the mountain and as is transfigured before him, meaning that he is showing them what he really looks like in heaven, the transfiguring of God from a human being. And remember, we are made in the image and likeness of God, so that means that he was not looking different, He was just glorified, all right? And his clothes became uh, brilliant and, you know, his whole being was magnified in, in many ways. And the important part about it was that the voice of God the Father comes to the ears of the apostles and the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Very important words. Because when you put that together with the words of Mary at the time of the wedding feast of Cana, she says, do whatever he tells you. You put those two phrases, those two commands from the two holiest people possible the father and Mary representing divinity and humanity this is my beloved son listen to him and do whatever he tells you what greater command could you have than that the two beasts Much is made about the beasts and the the crowns and the seven heads and all of that jazz. We can simplify it by saying, as we did here, it talks about the beast from the water. Well, of course, in Job and one of the other books, you have this beast coming out of the water and everybody thinks of Godzilla or something of that kind. Uh, But if I put the word across, I think it sort of brings it down to something that is a little more realistic, the beast from across the water. When you think about it, Israel is across the water from Rome in the Mediterranean Sea. And that is what is meant here so that you can identify it a little more readily a beast, the beast from across the sea or across the water, which is the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire had conquered Israel in the year 63 B.C. They had conquered it from the Greek Empire and took over. And, of course, immediately they move in and install somebody in the occupied territories and of course this is where we get this collusion between the temple rulers and the conquerors the Romans and we have Herod and his dynasty becomes the beast from the land the beast from the land I should say uh, And they both are trying to put down not only Judaism, but certainly Christianity. It talks about later the conquering or God's punishing and finally uh, dispelling uh, both of those, the empire. Well, yes, the Jewish empire, Herod's empire, was actually destroyed in the year 70 AD by the Romans themselves. The Romans got fed up with the persecution of the uh, Jews against the Christians. Not that they cared about one or the other, they just didn't want all of the the fuss and the strife and so forth and so on that was going on. So they stepped in in the year 66 uh, AD, and it took them three and a half years to conquer and put down all of the uh, the leaders of the uh, Herod's family, and in the process, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple, which of course did away with not only uh, the rulers of Judaism, but practically decimated Judaism itself. Judaism did not recover for almost 200 years, Uh, when in the 6th century they reorganized, but that isn't the first time, this would be about the fourth time that they had to reorganize under different concepts uh, and a different um, meaning and approach. But with the destruction of Jerusalem in in 70 A.D., you destroyed not only the temple, but you destroyed the priesthood, the whole organization of Judaism in itself, Uh, and most of the Jewish people scattered. Remember, most of the Christians had scattered before that because they were being persecuted by the Jewish leaders. The woman clothed with the sun and the moon. We've read about that and it's been so confusing for so many people uh, for centuries. Actually, if you look at it this way, the woman clothed with the sun and the moon was mentioned way back in the book of Genesis. It represents Judaism. The woman at that time represents Judaism, and her child is the Messiah that is predicted and prophesied to come at a later date. In the New Testament, we find that Mary fulfills that role, more so than anybody could have in the Old Testament. Mary fulfills that role, and, of course, her son is the Messiah. So there is somewhat of a connection. A lot of people get confused, and that's understandable, but you have to think about it in the Old Testament tradition and its meaning separate from the New Testament tradition and its meaning. The Heavenly Battle Between God and Satan, or Lucifer. We've all read of that more than probably we want, I'm sure, in this book. But a lot of people have asked me, well, why didn't God just wipe out Satan right in the beginning when he could have? All right, well, it's the same reason why he doesn't wipe out human beings uh and why in we have the same in our own day and age about uh capital punishment why don't we just wipe out uh, the criminals you know and put them out of their misery and, and out of our misery uh by killing them well that is taking away from them their free will the opportunity to repent and get back into the good graces of God. God, you might say, is almost at fault of giving people leniency, opportunities to repent. I've had people say, well, why did it take God 40 years after the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple to wipe the Jewish people out? Again, about 40 years was a time that God was hoping that those people would finally see the light and turn the corner to him. And yet they didn't. The worst got worse, and the better got better, in a way. (coughs) Babylon the Great and the great whore of Babylon being the same person. This was Judaism and primarily the temple which was their crowning glory. Remember, God through the Babylonians destroyed Solomon's temple in the sixth century BC. And now in the first century AD, he destroys the temple that was uh, built by Herod the Great in the latter part of the first century B.C. It was not, well, let's put it, it was intended to be a temple to worship in which the Jewish people would worship God. Unfortunately, it became a symbol of authority a symbol of glory a symbol of power uh, a, a place where the temple rulers could really glorify themselves and so forth and so on it was used for the wrong reasons it was not used solely for worshiping god but for the wrong reasons remember when jesus uh goes into the temple towards the end of his life and overturns the money changers and uh, really gets extremely angry. Yes, Jesus could get angry. Uh, And he says, this house should be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. We hear that and we will hear this next Sunday, Palm Sunday, as part of the readings where Christ overturns the money changers. And that is because they were using the temple for the wrong purposes. And that is why God allowed the Romans to destroy uh, the temple, um, not only because the Jewish people crucified Christ, that was sort of the last straw, but it was not the only reason. And of course, in destroying Jerusalem, we destroyed, or he destroyed the person that was looked upon uh, in sort of a a personal way, that is the great whore was Judaism itself. In the end, God will win out, and his plan will succeed. That's the whole idea of the battle between God and Satan. The new heaven and the new earth, that is what we should look for. And we are part of all of that if we follow the teachings Uh, of Christ we become part of the bride of Christ we become part of the new heaven and the earth now don't think of you know bricks and mortar coming down out of heaven remember heaven is not a physical place and yet there is no way to explain this but and yet we know that if not so much if but when Our bodies are resurrected and are returned to our souls. There has to be a place, a physical place, for our bodies to stand on and to live on. So in some ways, that may happen again or will happen again. Uh, We have no way to explain that. So that's a very quick run-through of the book of Revelation. the first beast is the beast from across the water that's the roman empire right. all right the second one is the beast from the land which was the jewish not we couldn't can't call it the jewish empire but the jewish house of herod and his family And remember, they were not fully Jewish people. One of Herod's parents was an Indomian, which was actually an enemy of Judaism in a much earlier day. Uh, But the thing that caused them to be destroyed was that Herod and his family cooperated with the Romans who were really the conquerors in doing and carrying out a lot of what the Romans wanted. So they were both equally wrong. Does that answer your question? Well, for one thing, the church is getting away from World Without End. That came out of one of Paul's letters, all right? And has been used for centuries, uh, but uh, I don't remember it's either John Paul or uh, Benedict XVI uh, in one of their meetings in Rome has decided that the Church will not use that phrase any longer, "a world without end," because we know it will end. Um, and so I can't give you an exact answer to your question. Uh, but what I'm saying is that we no longer use that term officially in anything. Uh, and wherever it comes from in, in many of our older prayers, uh, we're trying to change that because it no longer really applies. So. Now, let me give you uh, something else that has often been brought up when I teach this class and that is the rapture. Many people have talked about it, and in many of the Protestant uh, Bibles, the word rapture is used, but not in this book, not in the book of Revelation. The rapture is referring to, and if you go to Paul's letter, first letter to the Thessalonians chapter 4, Verse 16, I believe it is. Uh, he will talk about the end of the world and people being taken up. All right, the idea and the the Greek, and I don't don't ask me to pronounce it because I can't. I just don't remember it well enough. Uh, but the Greek word for taken up, in other words, Paul's letters were all written in Greek. And the word for taken up is something very close to the word rapture, and therefore it was referring to how some people will be taken up. And that comes also from uh, St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, uh, and extends into 25, about those who are left behind. And of course, some enterprising person has, has made a a great deal of money by writing a whole series of books called the Left Behind series. Um, And of course, these are statements that are made as and taken out of context, you might say, uh, because they are referring to, yes, the end of the world, but no one knows when or how. That's going to be done. All we can do is sort of do a good, educated guess and let it go at that. My gut feel is that God is going to come and it's going to be a peaceful coming. But unfortunately, those people who are caught off guard and have not prepared themselves uh, will lose out because there will be no time to change. The end will be the end, and those who are still in sin will be condemned. There is no other choice. And my feeling is, and again, this is just old Mel's feeling, not not church, but the end of the world will not happen until every man, woman, and child has had an opportunity To at least know who Jesus Christ is and a little bit about him. And it is up to us to make sure that we've done our part in witnessing. Now, we've had a couple uh, incidents in this book of Revelation that talks about witnessing. And we haven't gotten into uh, a lot of discussion on that subject, but it is very important as part of. Our wanting to share our faith with others, we have to do our part about witnessing to the meaning of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have to go up and down the streets, you know, standing on the soapbox on the corner and do that, but whenever the opportunity arises within normal activity, conversation, etc., we have an opportunity and we have a duty to represent who we are as Catholic Christians and to witness to the benefits of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so many people have said, and sincerely, and I can understand some ways some of their reasoning, Oh, they just don't want to get involved with other people's religion and they don't want anybody to be involved in theirs. And that's wrong. God has given us a tremendous treasure, but not for ourselves to keep, you know, hidden. He's given us a tremendous treasure to share. That's why I'm here to do what I can to help. He's given you, each one of you, a little piece of the plan of salvation to fulfill. St. Paul tells us in his book of Colossians, says, I make up in my own body what is lacking in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Now, that might sound horrible because a lot of people think, well, what could be wrong and missing in the life of Jesus Christ? It's Christ has left the door open in his plan of salvation for each one of us to fulfill a small part. These are seven items that I feel are very important. And if you remember nothing else about this book of Revelation, you have to remember at least these seven items. Coincidentally, I didn't intend to make it Seven, that's just the way it came out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. In fact, I was surprised myself when I saw that. But apocalyptic language, you have to understand the context uh, and the form that this book is in, so that when people say, Oh, I get so frightened when I read the book of Revelation, well, you've got to say, now, calm down, you know, you got to understand what apocalyptic language is. And it uses a lot of symbolisms and Greek and Roman mythology, which today to us, you know, is next is to almost to childish writings. Uh, it's interesting, but that's about, yeah, Uh, Forget about that, but you have to at least be aware that it's there. God's plan of salvation. Well, I don't want to belabor that. We've already talked about that. Uh, But this is symbolized by the large scroll, and our part in that is symbolized by the small scroll. And we do have to fulfill our role in God's plan of salvation mankind's free will is extremely important and it expressed in many ways. This is why God just didn't wipe out a lot of uh, his enemies throughout this book. There is a continuing battle between God and Satan that will go on until the end of the world. And we human beings are caught up in that, almost as pawns, you might say. Not that God intended it that way, but that is the way Satan works. Satan is not really interested in us. Uh, one time I heard somebody uh, combine the words Satan and love. Those two just cannot go together. Satan cannot love anyone or anything in a true sense of what love is. But Satan will use certain people for his advantage. Now, don't be afraid of, of Satan if you're on God's side. Okay, But God will use certain people for his advantage just as well. And there is something that you want to do. And as I've said here, the privilege of making choices and being caught up in the mystic battle of good versus evil, or God versus Satan, resulting the ultimate punishment for those who choose wrongly or eternal life for with God in heaven for those who choose not only to follow but also to witness to the Lamb of God. Remember, love cannot be bottled up. And you might love God with all your heart, and I hope you do, but you can't bottle that up and just say, well, I don't want anybody to bother me in my love for God because that's where love dies. If you bottle it up, it dies. The three cycles of disasters symbolized by the seven seals, seven trumpets, and the seven bowls represent reminders of past punishments and thus the book of Revelation could be summed up as the last warning in the Bible for all humanity to take notice and make the right choice. The end of the world. It is mentioned in very dramatic terms here in the book, but not when, but how, and under what conditions. This involves the ultimate spiritual battle between God and Satan, which is symbolized by its comparison to the battle of Gog and Magog, in the book of ezekiel and the end of the world does not or is not represented here by the rapture as i've mentioned before Um, the word rapture is not found in any catholic bible but it is in some protestant bibles Uh, and it is used in in a discreet way Uh, but i think they it's emphasized a little more than it should be but keep in mind uh the rapture is mentioned uh in paul's letter to the thessalonians first letter to the thessalonians chapter 4 and i think it's verse 16. the ultimate reward our ultimate reward is to be returned to the father through jesus christ the new Jerusalem here is not a physical place. There's no temple, and no temple will be necessary because we will have access to God. <coughs> and he to us in the same way that Adam and Eve had access to God before they sinned. That's the whole analogy of the paradise scene in the book of Genesis, God and mankind, Adam and Eve, could walk and talk and eat and live with God because they were pure, without sin. But after sin, they had to be expelled because God and sinful mankind cannot coexist. But regardless of all of what is in this book, God's eternal love will always win out. In spite of all the harsh descriptions of punishment in the book of Revelation and elsewhere, God's love still overrides everything. And mankind mankind cannot determine when his love will be applied or withdrawn. Now, it isn't withdrawn except for those people who have seriously sinned. And then God departs from them because God and mankind, God and love, cannot coexist with sin. Therefore, we must always be on guard because we know not the day or the hour. He's talking about the pillars of the church, Peter and Paul. Yeah. Well, I would have to think about that because uh, that would be quite a that would be quite an undertaking. But I can understand your your see your point because they have a lot to say. And remember, Jesus did not write anything or leave anything in writing for us. It all came through the apostles. And that is why we call our faith the apostolic church, because everything that we have come, has come through the apostles. Uh, and, you know, that. That's important, but it's not really easy, and you know, to put it into a, a you know a context for a, a class. It's just a suggestion, not a plan. <laughs> okay. Yes. How about the Catholic letters? We can't wait for me to turn but not the other? Uh That's you know I've thought about that before, and and that's a good subject. I'm not going to make any commitments tonight, <laughs> to this morning. But I would like to hear what you have to say, and uh, between now and September, uh, if and when, uh, I'll have time to think it over. Yeah. The Acts of the Apostles. Uh, yes, the Acts of the Apostles is very interesting because. Uh, it's the only first hand or eyewitness uh, that we have in writing. Uh, Everything else has come from uh, later sources. So Acts of the Apostles is also very interesting. Uh, Anyone else? Yes, Millie? Christology. Christology in in general. Uh, There's a wonderful book, I'll, I don't have my copy here. Called Catholicism. It was just written by Father Robert Barron. He's now Bishop Robert Barron of uh, Auxiliary Bishop of Los Angeles. Uh, it is an excellent book, and I would highly recommend it. It's available on Amazon for ten dollars, I believe. Uh, but it is called simply simply Catholicism. Robert Barron, yes. Uh, Excellent. I'm beginning to read it the second time around now uh, because I always find that I get more the second time around than I did the first. (laughs) Anyone else have another suggestion? Have we ever done John? Yes, we have. I've done all the the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) This will be... This will be have completed my twentieth year here at Saint Clair. Yeah. yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, okay. What about? Uh, I've never heard anyone really ask about the the uh, <laughs> books of wisdom. How would you or what do you think about the books of wisdom? There happens to be seven of them, also, you know. Well, not really. Uh, Psalms would take a couple uh, meetings. Uh, Sirach might take a couple meetings. Uh, the book of wisdom itself uh, is beautiful, beautiful uh, liturgy. Uh, and wording the same with the Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is in there and Ecclesiasticus sure, anyway. yeah, there's two books in there with very similar names Okay, uh, I think that that might be of interest so we shall see you just gonna say you need yourself because we have a lot of study <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, look it. at all the prayers that are directed yeah. towards yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, please now. Uh, pray for old now. Yeah. <laughs> well, we will see. I You <laughs> want to teach probably as well. I mean, what what kind of appeals to you that you would like to? You sounded like the Book of Wisdom, so maybe. You kind of like this background, Well, the, the foreground. <laughs> the Book of Wisdom is something that a lot of people don't really think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's from the Old Testament, but it applies in many ways to us today, just as it did two or 3,000 years ago. Um, and the thing that I like about the Books of Wisdom is that they can be used... Uh, as a basis for prayer. A lot of people say, well, I don't know how to pray, I don't know what to say, and so forth and so on. Well, the books of wisdom gives you uh, a lot of basis for prayer, particularly the Psalms. But then you have Proverbs, you know, and uh, there's so many other parts of that. (laughs) The one book in that group that I would really prefer not to teach <laughs> Uh-oh. his Solomon's Song of Songs. It is so, pardon the expression, erotic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you say that one? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And when, when my niece got married, I was asked to do a reading out of the book of Songs. I mean, the uh, song of songs. And I went into the, I went into the uh, the sacristy to talk to the priest who I knew. And I said, "Look, you know, I don't want to read this unless unless you do some explaining up front, because it is a book that talks about the love between God and." His church, but it's put into the terms of man and wife. And it can get a little bit, uh, you know, <laughs> juicy. <laughs> so the priest said, Oh, don't worry about it, I'll take care of that. Well, between that moment and the actual ceremony, uh, another priest friend of the bride and groom came in. He says, Oh, I'll do the Mass. Well, he didn't know what I said. He said. <laughs> So when I got up there, I, my face must have been ten colors of the rainbow. <laughs> yeah, I did it, but no, no, I, no more, no more. It's important to make the decision you pray about it. You bet. You bet. I do a. L- In fact, even before I, even before I come here, each time, I pray a lot. Yeah. Not my will be done, but the Lord's will be done. All right, with all of that, let's end with a prayer. Lord, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for so many blessings that have come to us through this session. We cannot really leave here without thanking you over and over. For the blessings that you have showered on me as well as all of us here we ask that you continue to bless us in our journey with you our walk with you on a daily basis help us then to give ourselves to you in prayer Mm -hmm. and in action so we thank you for this time together we thank you and we praise you in all things in jesus name amen